I want to talk about the anointing of God. And that's something that I don't think, I don't think I've ever thought about here, the anointing of God. But if I have, I'm sure it'll be new. <laughs> so I'm sure you've heard about the anointing. And I've seen it in action. Some um, good stories in the Bible. One of the good stories in the Bible about this is the, was the life of Samson. When the anointing of God would come upon him, he would have superhuman strength and would do things that thousands of men, it would take thousands of men to do, or hundreds of men. He would use uh, weapons that nobody would ever imagine would be a weapon, and yet his personal life was still disaster. But, <laughs> but, so I wanted to talk about the anointing of God, what it's for, and how it helps us, and how we could utilize when the Lord has anointed us to do something, to utilize it properly and for um, the purposes for which it was designed. So let's start off with a very popular verse on that subject, and that is Isaiah 10, 27. And we see in Isaiah 10, 27 that there is a record, well actually the whole chapter of Isaiah 10, there is a description of things that are being done um, that really don't please God. And it's borderline, well it is not borderline, it is disrespectful to God. And it is ungrateful to God. And um, and so let's, let's look at verse 1 for a minute. It says, What sorrow awaits the unjust judges and those who issue unfair laws? I think people think they can get away with a lot of things because nothing happens to them right away. But that, the reason nothing happens right away is simply because there's room for repentance. There's room for lack of knowledge to be given understanding so you have an idea that what you're doing is not right. I mean, how many of us when we first got saved, the things we did back then, we know better now. Oh, well, that's not what you do. But we, if God had judged us right then and just like done something about it right then, it, it wouldn't be that fair, so to speak. So God gives us the opportunity to learn and to grow from where we are to, um, to where he would like us to be. Paul is a good example of that. Because when he was Saul, remember how he persecuted the church? And he thought that he was doing what he was doing for God's sake. Like he was actually doing God this big favor. And, and then the Lord arrested him and said, why are you persecuting me? And then he had then a decision to make. He had three days to make a decision of which direction he's going to go. So I don't want you to think ever in today's teaching or whenever you hear a teaching that you didn't know about or you found something new about it that somehow God's going to come and strike you dead because you've been doing it wrong the whole time. No. It is so you could be enlightened and see, oh, that was not what I was supposed to be doing with that information. And the key is to change. That's the key. To repent. To say, Lord, I don't want to do it that way anymore. I want to do it this way. And that's how we grow. Okay? So let's look at verse 27. 
And I am reading it from the New Living. Because that's what's on my screen. The Lord says, in that day, the Lord will end the bondage of his people. He will break the yoke of slavery and lift it from their shoulders. And the um, another version, the, the King James Version, says, or the New King James, I should say, if I can find it. But here's what the King James says. Um, oops, sorry about that. It says, and it shall come to pass that in that day that his burden shall be taken from off his shoulder and his yoke from off, off of his neck, and the yoke shall be destroyed because of the anointing. Now, there is some... Um, there's some um, commentary on that verse where it talks about the yoke shall be destroyed because of the anointing that tells us that the word translated there because of the anointing, the Hebrew word, the root word for it, really means because of the fat. Not necessarily because of an anointing oil. And the, the Hebrew word there is um, shaman, S-H-A-M-E-N, that's how I pronounce it in English language. I have no idea what it sounds like in Hebrew. And <laughs> that really means um, the fat. It, it means to become, to be fat, to get fat. So when the um, ox would be treading the wheat, and they would keep eating, and that's all they're doing, and they're treading the wheat, they eventually start getting fat. And the yoke that they had around their neck and everything else would break because their necks would become too big for the yoke. So how does that translate spiritually, right? How does that translate where the anointing breaks the yoke? Well, the spirit, let's go to Luke. Um, I'm going to skip ahead of myself here for a minute. And let's go to Luke 4, 18. Luke chapter 4, 18, and this is Jesus speaking, but he is quoting the Bible, and he is making it personal, and he's quoting Isaiah 61 here, right? So Jesus is speaking, Luke 4, 18, he says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me. To preach the gospel to the poor, he has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captive, and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who were oppressed, and those who are oppressed. So every time the anointing is referred to in the Bible, there is this um, expression of freedom being the result of the anointing. So in the case of uh, Isaiah, where it talks about the ox, with the reference to the yoke being destroyed because of the anointing, it is being destroyed because of the fatness. So how do we gain the fat, so to speak, to destroy the yoke as far as personally doing it? Well, 
Feed yourselves spiritually. Feed yourself in the food in the word, of the food in the word that will fill you up and just cause you to gain in spiritual stature. So that the yokes that held you in slavery, meaning the things that you don't know about, because the Bible talks about that you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. See, here are the freedom terms. So, as you build up your knowledge in the area of where a yoke is tied around you, you start, fill, you start getting fat on that subject. And the result of it is something's got to break. Now, the Bible tells us we have a yoke with God as well, right? That my yoke is easy, my burden is light. That yoke is because of the source that it's hooked up to. See, when this reference, when a um, when the animals are in the field yoked, the, every time I think of that, I think of manual labor. I think of physical labor, so much work, all this energy being poured into this, and it's drudgery. It's the same thing over and over and over again, and it's it's such it's bondage. Right? Now, with God, his yoke is simply a steering connection for us. And it is so easy, the reason it's so easy is because it contains something that the physical yokes and the yoke of mankind and the yoke of the enemy does not contain. The yoke of God contains free will. This changes everything. An animal does not have free will. They're under our dominion. They do what we tell them to do. But people have translated that to people. And we have to be careful because we are people and we have free will. And God treats us that way. So his yoke is easy and his burden is light and it, because it gives you room to... to Dismantle yourself from him if you so desire. You have free will to do that. When you become a Christian, you're not captured for life. And, you, and he won't ever give you the opportunity to release yourself from him. He will never let you go, ever. But you can let him go. You see the difference? So it's not all the time people that pass me and said, God will just like lose you. And it's like, no. <laughs> You can choose to remove yourself from being yoked to God, which many have. And they pretend that they still are, which is sad. Now, if we go to Acts 10.38, we see there that, which, which you know a lot of these verses I'm speaking of, but I just want to look at it in the context of the anointing. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. Does that sound like a repeat of Luke 4, 18? When Jesus announced, the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because he has anointed me. So the Holy Spirit comes upon us 
for that anointing to work. So it's not just having the Holy Spirit in us, it is now having the Holy Spirit upon us. And the purpose of the Holy Spirit being upon us is so that it can affect people that are out that we can minister to. It's not so much to affect us. For example, Samson is a good example, right? Samson, who was so anointed and so strong, was taken down by a woman and batting of her eyelashes and speaking of her words. And, yeah. But yet he had the anointing. It would come upon him to do things, you know, that God had called him to do. So don't, people can get caught up and get arrogant and get all like, ooh, I'm so special because I have the anointing. Well, you have to be careful because that anointing was given to you for people. Now, in the same vein, for you to think that you're not good enough to walk in an anointing from God, that's just as bad. I'd say, look how great I am because I have the anointing. The enemy doesn't capture too many people with that, how great thou art. And when he does, you know, everybody knows about it. But he captures many more secretly with the how unworthy I am. And both are not serving the purposes of God. Right? We know this because you remember in the book of Jeremiah, where he said, you know, I'm just a boy. I can't do what you're telling me to do. And then Jesus had to, God had to let him know, I knew you from your mother, before your mother's womb. I called you from then. So what are you telling me now? You see this? So when we think we don't qualify, it, it hinders us from fulfilling God's plan for us. And that means now there's people that God wanted to touch with our lives, and it's not happening. Now, if you watch lately what's going on in the world, you can see how the influence of one person could change entire nations. And it doesn't have to be a good influence either. The bad influences do their job as well. But people uh, would be deceived by the enemy's power working through people. Well, what do you think would happen to people if they were able to glean from God's power working through us? What, what could possibly happen in the lives of people? If we were to listen, follow an instruction, and do what God's asking us to do, that's all it takes. That's how you walk in the anointing. You, you, have, you have free will to choose to keep hooked up to the anointing, but then what do you do with it? You have to walk in it. And that's what Jesus was doing, right? Jesus was walking in the anointing as he did, as they pointed out in Acts 10, 38. He did what he announced, who he announced he was in Luke chapter 4. Are you with me? Now there's something to be said. If we're not operating in the anointing of God, the question is, what are we operating in? Because that is the question. So if we're not operating in God's anointing, we're operating in something else. And um, there has to be some way we know to make decisions. 
Think about it. There's some filter you're using to make a decision. The question is, what is the filter? Right? Now, the Spirit of God was the filter for Jesus. The Bible tells us that we have the mind of Christ. We know all things. That's how Jesus operates too. So Jesus knew what to do because he did what he saw the Father do. Holy Spirit knew what the Father wanted done. Jesus did not start his ministry until he was filled with Holy Spirit, until he had received the power, right? When he had the baptism and then Holy Spirit came upon him. Now, everybody has a filter for making decisions. The question is, what uh, whose advice are we using? And the term came to me, and it's going to fit in somewhere. And the question is, who's your farmer? Who's your farmer? Now we know in John 10, I think it's John 10, maybe it's 15, where he talks about the vine, or he's the shepherd. Is it 15 he talks about the vine? 15. John 15. Where Jesus tells, well, I was thinking about the shepherd too, that John said he worked with farmers. <laughs> the farmer has sheep and vines. <laughs> so John 15, John 10, we see the image of an operating farm that has animals and, and um, trees and vines, right? Do you realize that God was the first, form, first farmer on the earth? And he was the first uh, cattle rearer. He's the one who started all of it, right? So when Cain and Abel were doing their thing, they were just doing what God already God started it. God's the one who planted trees and called it up from the earth and stuff, right? Right. He was the one who made the animals. <laughs> so who's your farmer determines what type of a life you're going to live. Now, I'm sure you're aware there are some farms that, wow, nobody would ever want to live there. No animal, right? You, you, you just like mourn for the animals when you find out they live on that farm. And there's some farms, it's just like, wow, it's like a piece of heaven. You know, they have it so beautiful. Well, our Father, he's created Psalm 23. That's the environment of his farm. Right? And then we have the other farmer whose environment looks more like where the prodigal son was hanging out towards the end. Right? And so the question now is who do we get fed from? Who's our farmer? Who takes care of us? Who's the one whose, you know, land we're living on, so to speak? If it's God, then we are guaranteed green pastures, still waters, overflowing cup with the anointing, he anoints my head with oil, my cups run over, and goodness and mercy following us. Now here's the thing. David, did David have to fight battles? Yes, he did. So epic that they're recorded in the Bible. But was the psalm still true about him, goodness and mercy following him? Yes, it was. Because he always, he was never, the enemy was never behind him chasing him. He was always ahead. He was always 
He always knew what was going on. Because it's the mercy followed him, not problems and sorrows. Right? So his life, the anointing on his life had that impact on him. But it helped so many. See, it's not God's will for us to be sick, bedridden, barely moving, can't talk, all this. It's not God's will for us to do that and function in his anointing. That's not how he has it set up. But could it happen to us that that's how we function? Yeah. Because we are still yoked up to things that enslave. Now, is God doing something to us and punishing us because of it? No. Because most likely we don't have a clue. So, but here's the difference. When he gives you light on a subject, use the light. Don't go back in the darkness. If you don't know what to do with the information, ask him. Ask him to show you what to do with the information. I do that so many times. And I'm going to tell you, sometimes I would read a verse and I'd be like, I really want to know what this really means. And then I would turn on um, my computer and want to listen to songs or something on YouTube, and a ministry message would pop up. And do you know they'd be teaching on the subject I was just asking a question about, I wonder what this means? But if we never consider it, then God can't send an answer. If he sent an answer to something we never asked a question about, we, we would discard the answer. We wouldn't know what to do with it. We'd never use it. It would be lost. But when we become curious about God's word, what it says, how does it work, he will give us answers. And you have to be confident in this. You have to know that when you call on him, he hears you. That's what the Bible tells us. So it's not like you are trying to figure out the answer on your own, and then if you can't come up with a good one, you're going to go ask God. <laughs> like to me, that's too much work. <laughs> I'm thinking... You know, I, I remember when we were in Tennessee, there was this family that got saved. And they were like, maybe in their 30s or 40s. They had, they must have been in their 40s, right? And they had just gotten saved. They'd never been to church in their life, right? So they start coming to the church. And somehow they liked hanging out with Doug and I, and they'd ask us questions and stuff. And one day I looked at them and I said to them, like, I just don't understand. You went your whole life? And you never, like, knew about God? Like, you had no, like, like, they never went to church as kids, nothing. They had no God in their life. And I'm like, and you live in America. Well, that's the first shock. Like, you live in America. In the South. <laughs> never, like, had, like, any kind of curiosity or anybody. No, no, we didn't. Wow. So, so like, how did you make life decisions? I don't know what I would do if I didn't have the Holy Spirit to ask you questions. Like, I really don't know what I would do. I feel like, wow, I couldn't really make decisions for myself because I got God about everything. And they were like, well, that's why we would smoke, we would do drugs, because we were so bogged that we didn't know what to do. So in order to just kind of like let it go, we would just, you know, do drugs. And then when we get out of it, we have the same problems. And then we'd have to do more and more and more. So their whole life were a mess. And then when they met Jesus, they were like on fire. Because this is like, wow. And I thought, man, how many people live like this their whole life, not knowing the, not knowing what Jesus could help them do, what the Holy Spirit, the questions the Holy Spirit could help them answer. They just don't know anything. And you know, part of that problem is 
The people who God anointed to set out to talk about this are so concerned about their disqualification that they never stop to ask God, how do I get qualified? Like, even if that's your problem, even if you're thinking, I'm just not worthy, I'm not good enough. Well, at least Jeremiah asked. Uh, he talked it out loud so God can answer. But I think sometimes when people say these whiny things, they're not looking for an answer. They're looking for agreement. And then when there's no agreement, they get upset. And then they leave the church because nobody understands them there. Or they leave the group. Or they leave that friend group. Or they unfriend somebody on Facebook or whatever the going thing is today. But you detach yourself from the people who don't agree with the yoke of slavery in your life. And this is important for you to recognize, for me to recognize, is who is our farmer? Who are we working for? Whose who's, uh, place are we building up? You see, like, who are we doing things for that they're getting a benefit out of our life? You know, when we um, self-analyze and spend hours just loathing ourselves and what we should have been, what we could have been, and how we would, who does that benefit? I'll tell you who it benefits, most likely your doctor, maybe. <laughs> your psychologist, maybe the drug company, they get a lot of benefits out of these actions because you end up making yourself sick, right? But oh, even the, you know, favorite foods could be a, a beneficiary of, of these actions we do. But God has a better way. It's not that you should never say, man, I don't know about me doing this. Well, stretch. Stretch. Ask God, how do you want me to do this? How is he? I'm like, really? You see what I'm saying? But if we don't bring God's help in, we are staying hooked to a yoke and, and bondage that is just wearing us down. And if you don't fatten yourself with the word of God, it's not going to get any better. That's just what's going to happen. You're just going to keep in the same situation, Right? There's some good news for you. Now, let's go to James. Let's go to James chapter 3. And um, I want you to look at the concept of wisdom. Because who your farmer is determines the, the, um, the type of farming practices that you do. Right? Do you remember Laban the farmer? Well, I call the cattle people farmers too. Is that correct? Yeah. yeah, okay. They're farmers. That's all right. So Laban had Jacob working for him. Jacob, who was in the line of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, right? Laban did not recognize that in Jacob. Do you realize that? Laban never recognized the anointing of God on Jacob's life. And he, instead of Jacob benefiting for everything he did, he ended up having ten times his wages changed on, on the work he did. And Laban ended up 
benefiting a lot from Jacob's presence there. He got both his daughters married off, got grandkids out of the deal, his farm expanded and grew, and he had other sons. He had sons. It wasn't like Jacob was the only guy that showed up, right? And thank God this guy showed up to help me with my farm. He had sons because you remember at the end when Jacob told him he's going to leave, he told his sons to take all the things Jacob said he would take and take it three days away. Take it backwards, three days away. And Jacob didn't go after those things. Do you realize that? Jacob did not go after the things. He got instructions from God. And God kept God allowed Jacob to make Laban keep his word by God producing things right there that match the description of the agreement that Laban made with Jacob. Do you see how God's system works? God's system works by if we would stay the course, but it looks like the thing God said he would do or the thing that God said was ours, left, I went away, God will still make things work out where the agreement that was made could still be kept. In the natural view of man, that could never happen. But in God's kingdom, that will always happen. And we see that in the story of the children of Israel when they were leaving Egypt. There was a road at the bottom of the sea. Nobody ever saw it. <laughs> but it was there. And when the right time came, God told the sea, open the door. Let my people go through. Do you, you see how God operates? Now we have an entire Bible of 66 books that have all kinds of things like this in it. And yet, yet, people want to know if God could use them. We have stories of everybody from every walk of life that God has worked through. We have people who have said yes to God in the Bible and seen tremendous results. And yet we are wondering, what would happen if I do what God asked me to do? Now what kind of wisdom do you think that is being utilized there? I mean really. When we ask that kind of a question, what kind of wisdom is that? It's not the wisdom of God. Right? So let's look at James chapter 3. And we'll look at verse 13. I'm hitting you a little hard today, aren't I? I probably look stern too. <laughs> but, <laughs> but listen to me. we got to straighten some things out in us. Because I, what's happening in the world today, it's not just now happening. It's been a grinding at the wheel for people. The enemy has had their attention, has been bogging them down, has been using their gifts and callings for his plan, has been building up treasuries to cause harm to the world, using people that should have been working for the kingdom of God. This is how detrimental disobedience to following God's plan for our life is. It doesn't just affect us, it affects the world that we live in. 
and to think, to have a thinking process where we just want to be able to survive another day, live long enough to see our grandkids, and then we can go home. Well, what about them? What are we leaving them? I think about my kids, like really, if this is where it is today, if we don't do something about it, what are they going to be up against? And then, what do they see us doing about these things that they will do even less and hence complete days of Noah situation, right? So, James chapter 3 verse 13, if you consider yourself to be wise, and one who has um, who, and one who understands the ways of God, advertise it with a beautiful, fruitful life, guided by wisdom's gentleness. Never brag or boast about what you've done, and you'll prove that you're truly wise. But if there is bitter jealousy or competition hiding in your heart, notice it hides in your heart, then don't deny it and try to compensate for it by boasting and being phony. This is the pastor translation, by the way. <laughs> for that has nothing to do with God's heavenly wisdom, but can best be described as the wisdom of this world. Listen to what the wisdom of this world is both selfish and devilish. So wherever jealousy and selfishness are uncovered, you will also find many troubles and every kind of meanness. But the wisdom from above is always pure, filled with peace, considerate and teachable. It is filled with love and never displays prejudice or hypocrisy in any form. And it always hears the beautiful, it always bears the beautiful harvest of righteousness. Good seeds of wisdom's fruit will be planted with peaceful acts by those who cherish making peace. There's a difference between making peace and keeping peace. We all know about this, right? Because I've taught it. Making peace is confronting evil, not trying to not let anybody confront evil. That's not making peace. Making peace is confronting evil. Keeping peace is selfish. Because you just want to feel better about a situation and don't want any drama. I can't deal with this right now. That's not making peace. Okay? If you're in a situation where you don't have the capacity to deal with something, don't leave it. Walk away and still let it be a problem. When you can't deal with something, you say, God, this is bigger than I have the capacity to handle right now. Do you want to teach me how to handle it or who should I get involved to help solve the problem? But when a problem presents itself to you, do not just walk away because you don't have the capacity to help. Isn't that what the story of the Good Samaritan is all about? 
Okay? We see three people presented with a problem. And two walk away. And one helps. Jesus pointed the story out. And the person that helped wasn't even considered one of his people. Right? But they did what they could do. They didn't just walk away. When we are confronted, and, and I know everybody's like, I'm just tired of watching TV. I don't want to be on social media anymore. It's too much. We, it's there. When you shut the TV out, and when you change your Facebook thing, when you, you, you know, unfriend the people that are talking to opposite of you or whatever, the problem is still there. You've just chosen not to do anything about it. Okay? And that's fine, but don't just let it go just because you can't do something about it. You have to now, you could pray. You could ask God to send the right people in, let them find this stuff. Do you understand what I'm saying? You can do something about it. Don't just let it go. It's, you're compliant with it or complicit. That's the word. Of being complicit because you just saw it. This would not be a big deal if we didn't hear the story of the Good Samaritan. The Bible also says if you if somebody comes to you with a problem and you have with, you, you have something in your hand to give them and you tell them go come back another day, that's not good. Well, do we not have something in our hand? Don't we have prayer? Don't we have the Word of God? Don't we know people? That we could send the problem, you know, like break in, into it. Don't we have ways? But see, what happens is the enemy can lull everybody to sleep and then they just feel fine, like they feel better. You know, I just, I just want to be, yeah, leave all the drama. I just don't want to deal with the drama. Well, it's here, honey. <laughs> it's here. And we have the tools to deal with it. So here's my point about the anointing. The anointing was designed to destroy things that the enemy has designed. Everything the enemy has designed, the anointing, God has an anointing that destroys that thing. Everything. There's nothing on this earth that the enemy has planned that there's not an anointing to destroy it. The question is, what are we doing about it? Whenever the anointing is operating and you're in the presence of it, the way that you can reap from that anointing is by receiving from it by faith. That's how we get everything in the kingdom. So if you see somebody operating in a certain way, that is just like supernatural. Right? I don't know how they do it, but I could never do that. Okay, that's great. It's most likely the anointing of God operating through them. A believer, of course. You know, think God's operating this. Then have faith that you could receive from that anointing. Do you remember the guy who was dropped down in the, uh, where Jesus was teaching, and his friends opened up the roof, dropped him down? God, Jesus marveled at their faith, the faith of the friends, not the faith of the guy who got dropped down. Right? And... <laughs> They went and they pulled from the anointing of Jesus for their friends. Do you know what a benefit that was to them? They didn't have to carry him around anymore. <laughs> have you ever thought about that? <laughs> it took four of them to carry this dude around. <laughs> that says a lot. Like he needed people around.
imagine that, you know, hey, like he would take them on their time. <laughs> they are like, you know what? This one big effort, we're going to dig this room open. And we're sending this dude down. I'm sending him right in front of Jesus. <laughs> we need to pull on the anointing of God like that. We have to pull it. We have to be grateful for it. We have to be marveled by it. I feel sometimes Christians are saved so long they just get lost to sleep. Oh yeah, we've seen that before. Really? <laughs> really? That's what it's done to you? <laughs> the wisdom from God has beautiful fruit to show for its results. That's the difference. Do you see the wisdom that's being operated on in the world today? Are you kidding me? Like the wisdom that's going on, it's like, it's not, it, what it's done for me is show me just how foolish the wisdom of the world and the devilish wisdom is, which should give us hope and rejoicing. Because it's foolish. We have the wisdom of God. It was God's wisdom that captured 96 to 97% or 99% of the world's wealth and brought it to Egypt. It was the wisdom of God that did that through Joseph. One guy. Do you realize one man did what the entire wise man of a kingdom that was established, by the way, could not do? One guy. The one who was thrown in the pit. The one who was labeled slave. The one who was put in jail. All things labeled on him that was never who he was. And yet, one moment of the wisdom of God changed the world. It gave his family land. Do you see the difference? The wisdom of God. I don't want you guys to have access to the anointing of God and walk around just as lost, sad, depressed, and idealist like the rest of the world. There should be a difference in our results through this. And the best time the difference is noted is in a time of crisis. That's when it's seen the most. That's when it's seen the most. For example, in a famine, Isaac reaped a hundredfold in a famine. In a famine, the prophet had a woman's oil multiplied. Remember that? That was in a famine. So during the times when the world is in distress, is when God's people will shine the most using his wisdom and his anointing on their life. The prophet was anointed by God to be a prophet, right? And their anointing operated during a time of crisis. The question is, what is your anointing doing? Do you even know if you have an anointing? Do you even acknowledge that God didn't want to give you an anointing? The anointing is simply the Holy Spirit coming upon us to do what God needs done. You remember how um, when Jesus had his disciples, the Bible says that he sent them out two by two to do the work of the ministry, to do what he was doing. And they came back and they were like, wow, 
Even the demons are subject to us. You know, I really don't know why it's such a big deal for, for, to have demons be subject to you. Like, do you know how beneath us they are? When we think in that way, sometimes it could be that we expect, you know, they're more powerful than us and we overpower them. Well, they're not. You do realize that, right? Okay. <laughs> they're not. So if you have, like, demonic oppression, like, really? <laughs> they're weak compared to the power that operates in you. What's the Bible say? Greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. Right. right? So the anointing of God destroys the yoke of the enemy by us eating from God. Getting fat on the word of God. Getting intoxicated by the spirit of God. Do you know what it would be like to have a drunk ox? Every day the ox is drunk trying to plow your yard. <laughs> you're going to let him go after a while. You're like, you, I can't handle this. Right? Well, that's how you need to start being drunk. With the Holy Ghost. Yeah. Imagine if you prep. If you're morning prep before you go to work. Or whatever you plan to do for that day. Is to eat so much of the word. And drink so much of the wine of the Holy Ghost. That you are completely intoxicated. Your breath smells like Holy Spirit, you know. <laughs> your swagger, you're like, yeah. You know? I mean, what would happen if we did that? Tell me who's got a yoke big enough to put around us? Nobody. Nobody. I heard a story this week that happened maybe a couple of weeks ago of our young man in our church who got switched departments in his job because of his school schedule. And he, now he realizes people, these men are vile. And, uh, including the boss that worked in the department, the language was so foul, they couldn't stand it. So he, um, I guess he planned, he put up with it for a little bit, and then he eventually um, was greeting his former boss to say hi, and mentioned what was going on to him. And he said, but I did have a talk with him, it's okay now. And the former boss said, no, no, no. Took him to the boss boss. And the boss that was vile got fired. Right? But here's the catch. Here's what I said to the young man, because this is the flip side of it. See, when you win a battle against the enemy, he is a sore loser. As we can see. He's lost, but here we are. So, <laughs> so you remember how the Bible says you have to be wise to the wiles of the enemy? Don't be ignorant. Right? right? Okay. Of the wiles of the enemy, not don't be ignorant. Don't be ignorant to the wiles of the enemy. So my, my, my information for this young man, because I've been around a while, I know what happens then, is <laughs> because now what's happened is everybody hates me. Right, everybody said everybody hates him. I said, but here's the deal. That's a group of people that you would never want to be friends with anyway. So it's not like they shunned you from their group. You were never part of the group. You just reported what the group was doing. Isn't that what Joseph did? He reported what his brothers were doing. He obviously was not part of the group because he was going to them to report on them. 
And they hated him for that. So here's the fact. The enemy will hate you for righteousness. They'll yes. just do that. They'll hate you for righteousness. Like, there's no way around that. But the question is, do you want to be accepted for unrighteousness? I don't. <laughs> so you were never somebody I wanted to be accepted by in the first place. So hate me all you want. It's wrong with me. I just don't hate you back. That's going to make you feel even worse. But I refuse to hate you back. Because <laughs> it's not part of my wheelhouse. I don't have hate as one of my tools I pull out. Now I'm going to show you how much I can hate you. I don't, it doesn't exist to me. So I can't be tricked into using it. <laughs> See, you remember how the Bible says, put off the old and put on the new. Do you know if you practice doing that, if you literally think about this for a day, a day, not think about it tomorrow than today. <laughs> think about the old weapons you used to use. Think about it for a day. And make a decision. Do an actual physical act for you to remember this. Right? And say, I'm putting off that. I'm putting off this. I'm putting off that. They are no longer weapons I need to use. Instead, I'm putting on this. I'm putting on that. Galatians 5.22 said the place to start with that. Through spirit. I'm putting on this. I'm putting on. See, people shy away from the ability to operate in the fruit of the spirit because they never put it on. So it's a lot of work. When you never put it on, you've got to go find it every time. But if you're wearing it, <laughs> it's really far to look. You don't even have to like mention it. It's just seen. It's felt. You know, it's on. If you think of how a tree works, an apple tree that's bearing fruit, you don't have to go look for the apple if you're standing by the tree, right? Wouldn't the apple be? Where the tree is? <laughs> I mean, let's say the apple fell, so you don't even have to climb to get it. I mean, it's still by the tree. <laughs> you see how the devil is coming? It's the enemy that complicates it to make you feel like there's so much that goes into this. Imagine if God, imagine if we had to be the ones that, the, that turned our dark spirit into light. Oh, Goodness. <laughs> Could you imagine the distraction that would happen in our life? People would take their entire lifetimes trying to try get it done. Because they would never believe that it was done. When it was done. <laughs> do, you, do, you, do you know the enemy does that with sickness? He gets people to spend the entire rest of their life from the time he starts the sickness in them. Trying to get rid of the sickness. When the sickness was already gotten rid of, you just have to behave as if it's gotten rid of. Do you see? The things of God are so simple, and it's simple even more when the anointing of God is involved. Because the anointing of God could speed up the fattening process of breaking the yoke. 
Have you ever sat someplace and got like revelation coming out the wow? That was just a fattening experience. <laughs> because it would have taken you so long to study to find all those things, and God just went, pow. When that happens to you, use it. That's your moment of freedom. Don't go think about it. <laughs> That's when you take it into selfish wisdom and devilish wisdom. Take it fresh out of the wisdom of the Holy Spirit and put it into practice right away. This is a secret. This is a key. In the moment, after Jesus rose again and he stood in front of Peter, after Peter denied him, by the way, if anybody could have loathed themselves, it would have been Peter. And he had the goal to answer Jesus in this way. When Jesus said, Peter, do you love me? Yes, I do. I just denied you three times, but I love you. Do you see? You should watch, you should study Peter a little bit. Impulsive, asked so many questions, ready to defend and fight, don't know how to use a sword, <laughs> barely could catch fish, but he was a fisherman. And yet he was the one God had anointed already to be the first pastor of the church on the day of Pentecost. And Jesus had to come, you know, kind of reeling in because Jesus' prayer wasn't going to fail. He said, I, I pray that your faith would fail not. Jesus didn't pray that Peter wouldn't deny him. He prayed that Peter's faith would not fail. You see? Jesus was not afraid of what the sifting of Peter would do from the enemy. Do you realize unconsciously, ladies especially, you could pray prayers of fear concerning your children in that you're trying to have them not do certain things to have certain results. But look at how Jesus dealt with Peter. He knew what Peter would do. And his prayer was not to stop what Peter was going to do. It was to pray that his faith would not fail. You see? Now I don't think my kids would ever do something like that. <laughs> but they'd be more afraid to do it because of me than they would. Oh God, I imagine. But... <laughs> Either way, the fear of trying to not let someone be hurt is, I'm going to use a strong word, it's evil. Because it's fear. It's not love like it's disguised to be. It's a trap of evil. Do you see? So, you have to really consider, when you're doing these prayers for your children and you're not getting results, the question is, what have you been praying? Because Job was doing sacrifices proactively for sins that weren't committed yet, just in case they were. And he, all the kids died. I, I'd say that didn't work. <laughs> Incidentally, 
at the end of the ordeal, God asked him to pray for his friend. So God didn't lose faith in his prayers. You see? But it was his prayers that got him into trouble in the first place. Because he said, the thing I, the thing I feared the most has come upon me. He was praying and doing sacrifice in fear. So the question for you to ask yourself is, what activities are you doing in your life concerning your kids, family, job, situation in the world, that you're practicing to not have something happen because of fear? I'd say that's a message for today, won't you? The reason why we're doing something is important because it tells who our farmer is. It tells whose farm we're working for. It tells where we're planting our stuff. So if you don't have certain tools in your toolbox or ingredients in your cabinet, you can't make those things that involve them. You have to substitute. People take love and all that stuff out and they substitute with fear, worry, doubt, which is, you can get that cheaply in the world system. But it'll cost you. Whereas the things of God from his cabinet, you have to accept and receive it and it doesn't cost you. It's free. And that's why people think it's cheap. It's the most potent things you can possess in your life. Do you know how, how powerful it is to have someone accuse you, ridicule you, call you all kinds of names, you know, tell you you're a hater, and you not respond in hate? How powerful is that? It doesn't exist in the world system. Why do we have a justice system? Because people don't walk in love. So they commit crimes. And even the people who are being uh, put in prison for their religion around the world, for their um, Christianity, that's still happening because someone is not walking in love and punishing them for being a Christian. So all these systems are set up by the world and the church are like, oh, the end of the world is coming. The Antichrist is rising. Well, honey, I got this for you. The spirit of the Antichrist has been here since before you got here. Okay? Like Paul was dealing with it. Timothy was dealing with it. Peter was. They were all dealing with it, by the way. So it's not like it's just showing up in this generation. We're so special. It's been here. It's been hanging around for a while. It doesn't know the times and seasons. We know. Uh, the Spirit of God does. We give too much credit to the enemy and put no value in the anointing of God. When the first thing Jesus did, read out of the Bible in church, was the Spirit of God is the Spirit of the Lord responded, He got He has anointed me. Now when you see me, that's what's going to be operating. The anointing. That's what he was telling them. And and their response was, Wow. We've never heard anybody spoke with such, wow! And then the next scripture, they wanted to kill him. Read it, you'll see. 
the question is, what do we think about the anointing of God concerning us? Do we think you have to be holy? Oh, so holy. And you've been on a quest to be that way? Do you think the increase of the anointing comes by just how good you are? You know? And then every time you make a mistake and spoke of too high a volume of a word, then you're right back to square one. Like, what is the criteria for the anointing of God operating in your life? Like, you need to ask yourself this question for real. Is it because what prayers weren't answered? So for some reason, because your prayers on a certain subject were not answered, that means the anointing of God can't work for you. I mean, Samson did a lot of stuff while he was doing a lot of stuff. <laughs> I'm just saying. It doesn't mean that's how God operates today, because you've got to have the Holy Spirit in you, that will come upon you. So there is a criteria there. But I'm just saying, I think we disqualify ourselves based on the wisdom of the world which is evil, and not on the wisdom of God. We disqualify ourselves based on the news media, the social culture of what a Christian should look like, talk like, and behave like, and not how the Word of God shows us how some of His anointed people behave. Think about the prophet that's held on fire in front of a group of people, the whole Country, practically, I imagine. They were all there. Burned up, killed people. The fire of God. One prophet called it down. That wasn't socially acceptable. That's a long jail time. What I'm saying is, we have to be careful that we don't put out the fire of God in us and pick up the quenching of the world system in our lives. That's what we've got to do. We can't talk to our kids like, oh, now, you know, don't try to make anybody mad. Don't wear anything red. Let alone a cap. Just don't put it on. Don't do this. Don't say anything about America. Really? <laughs> don't stir the water. You know, Josiah has to, we used to go back to school and, um, he found out he has to wear a mask. And um, so he says, I'm going to be taking that off. I said, well. He goes, well, what happened if I take it off? And somebody said, well, they'll probably send you home. He goes, you mean I get to go home? If I take it off? Well, then. So, so somebody said, um, something else might happen. He said, well, I'm just going to have to sue them. I'm like, my gosh, where did you get that from? <laughs> I don't know where you got that from. We don't go around suing people, but he apparently does. So, <laughs> but I like when somebody could talk back like that about these bondages that are being put forth as AIDS and help, and it's supposed you have it's to help your friend. If you help us, help you. All these slogans of nonsense. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I mean seriously. I'm good. You don't need to help me. I'm fine. But, you know, help yourself if you so desire. I'm not withholding your help from you. Amen. But don't tell me that you're going to put me in bondage so I can get be helped. Isn't that what abusive men tell women all the time? Yes. Do this because I'm helping you. 
Isn't that what bosses tell people who work for them? Do it this way because then you can keep a job. <laughs> I think when people come work for me, they have a job in their lifetime because I don't tell them how to do things. <laughs> I just tell them to get to do that. I don't tell them how it could be done. I kind of leave them to their own devices. Except if I specifically want to think out a particular way, I'll let you know. But other than that, figure out how to get it done. I don't know. That's why I heard you. <laughs> but the thing is, that's what Jesus did to a lot of disciples. He's like, we need to feed the people. What's he talking about? How are we going to feed them? Well, let's find food and show him the showing of what food really exists because he doesn't realize where he is. Here, we found the lunch. This is all there is. Okay, that'll work. Oh. You see? This is the day and the time when we have to show the power of God multiplying five loaves and two fish. Don't you think now's the time to do that? You know? How churches can stay open. How businesses don't have to fail. All these things, this is the time when it can show. This is the time when we can show the world what the power of God can do. This is the time. Of any time, it is the darkest of times. What do you think life will look like? I'm stirring you up so you don't fall into the darkness and live like people who have no light. You start making plans that involve light. The light of God. The solutions from the Bible. Look at the stories in the Bible, how they did things that nobody ever did. I was writing a paper uh, for my course today for school, and um, I was explaining, I had to give everything about the doctoral degree is finding evidence of your own idea. I just don't get this. <laughs> it's my idea. Nobody's ever thought about it before. That's why I can't find research on it. But hey, it's not uh, it's not gonna work unless somebody has done an experiment to prove that it works. Really? I'm your experiment. <laughs> so I was explaining that models of solving problems exist in the Bible. And when Jesus came he demonstrated how they work by some of the miracles he did. And one of them was when he multiplied the fish, the five loaves and two fish, that I found. He was showing the disciples that what, it's either Elijah or Elisha, I think it was Elisha, the prophet did. In the Old Testament, he multiplied fish and bread. Or I don't know if it was just fish or just bread. But he multiplied to feed 4,000, I think it was. Or more than what they had. You can't tell I just wrote this paper. But I did put the references in there and where it is in the Bible. But the point is that what Jesus did, the Old Testament had models of it. Or the Bible had scripture that could have been used back then, but nobody used it. And even before Jesus came, they could have used it, but they didn't use it. But Jesus was using all these things to show them how they, too, could use it. Just like that, in a moment. How long did it take? How long did it take to feed all these people? It took less time than it would have if they went to town, bought the stuff, and made it. We know that for sure, because that was their big issue. Their big issue was time and resources. And Jesus showed that that was not a problem. He just 
multiply them. <laughs> so, we are children of light. The anointing of God destroys yokes, bondages, it sets people free. If you don't want the anointing to work for you, at least have the goal to ask God for it to work through you. So somebody could benefit from the powerful anointing of God through human beings that he's like to operate. You want to stay in your state? Feel free. But at least give God the opportunity to work through you so if you're somewhere that nobody else could be and you happen to be there, he could simply help somebody else through you. How about if we put it that way? <laughs> then you don't have to qualify yourself and get yourself all psyched up to be qualified to do it. Do you know when the anointing came on some people? They did things that they would never do normally and they didn't have to try to do it because they never knew they could do it. It just happened. When uh, Moses in the wilderness, God told him, get the leaders of the tribes to come here and make a, a group or whatever. And he said, I, well, you remember Moses was like stressing himself out solving everybody's problem. And the Lord said, I'm going I'm to put your spirit on them so they could solve problems like you're solving problems. So you don't have to be the only one doing it. And so he gathered the leaders and stood there. Then, then God showed up and took from his spirit and gave to them and they started prophesying. And they never prophesied before. And even two of the leaders that didn't quite make it to the group yet, they were still in their camp, they started prophesying right where they were. You see how this stuff works? Defies the human mind. When the Bible says there's no distance in the Spirit, believe that there is no distance in the Spirit. Just believe. You don't have to figure out how. How is there no distance in the Spirit? There just isn't. So you could pray from here for anything, anywhere in the world, and it could work. Imagine that. Which unbeliever, no matter what lives they think matters, could do that? Which, which person operating with devilish wisdom and under that type of demonic power could do that? The demons are not omnipresent. They have to transfer messages. Do you know how fast the Holy Spirit can work for us? Do you know he said he'll give us more than we could ask or think? Do you know that if you're in the midst of... Um, of people who you don't want to hear what it is that you want to happen to them. Do you know you could think it and the Holy Spirit will pick up on it and do it? Do you know just talking in tongues right there in front of all your enemies could get the same thing done because they have no idea what the heck you're doing? While they're mocking what you're doing, stuff's happening. This is the power that we have. The thing is, you've got to activate it to work in you. How do you activate it? Say yes. <laughs> you know, here I am, Lord, send me. God's having a conversation with the prophet. Uh, who will go? Who will go for me? Who? <laughs> how many? Who will go for me? That shows you how God respects our free will so much. That the obvious has to be asked. 
He needs you to accept. That's it. You don't have to figure out your qualification, how much work it's going to... It's so easy when you operate in, you know... I can't even explain it to you because it's unexplainable. <laughs> you, the Bible says that you give you um, wings of the... You ride up with wings of the eagles. Okay, how's that possible? I don't know. I just take it. Pastor John and I were taking a walk the other day and we... Um, Here's how the conversation went. I'll end with this. We're walking. We heard rustling in the trees. We're at a, at a local park. There's rustling. We keep hearing it every time we walk by there. And this time we saw the squirrel with the nut. He drops it from the top and just goes down and starts chomping. I'm like, wow, such a fast climber. And then Pastor Doug was saying, um, he's not as fast as, I think it's the cheetah that takes their prey up in the tree to eat. Right? Is that the cheetah? I went, the what? They do what? Oh, yeah. Casually, my husband tells me this. Really? <laughs> they captured a prey. I said, well, what did they eat? Plants or something? I thought they ate, like, animals. Yeah, they do. They, a whole animal they'll take up in a tree. Wow. That seems like a lot of work. But the reason is because they're the ones that know how to climb a tree with an animal between the teeth. The other animals that could attack them don't know how to do that. And I went, like even the lion doesn't know how to do that, right? I went, wait a minute! Our, the Bible describes Jesus as the lion of the tribe of Judah. But then the Bible also tells us that we, we can soar with wings as eagles. So there are times in your life, this is all free, this part's free. <laughs> There are times in your life, you have to know when to be what. You have to know when you are to be a lion. And then you have to know when you are to be an eagle. The eagle can see the weather patterns. They're up high. They can see what's coming. And when you want to relocate quickly, eagle flight is what you need. But when there's a threat against your family, the herd, when there's a threat, you need the lion. Because the lion, you know, is more in your face. So you need the lion. <laughs> but if you try to be a lion when it's time to, to get to the next level, you could miss it. And you could practically mess it up. So these are the things that are available to us. Do you think the wisdom of the world would know that? No. But the Holy Spirit can reveal that to us. So what do you think I'm doing? Evaluating. Tell me when to be a lion. Tell me when to be an eagle. <laughs> how, do I, how do I solve this problem? Is it a lion type solving? Or is it an eagle type solving? If you're not making strides in your life and you're stuck in one place, you might be operating like a lion. When you should be operating like an eagle. So I would get all the scriptures out about eagles. What the Bible says about eagles. Read about it. Ask the Holy Spirit to reveal it to you. What do you need to do? If you're getting beat up, if you're constantly fighting the same battle, you might be trying to be an eagle above the problem. I just want to fly above the problem. <laughs> when you need to be a lion. Because when you land, the problem's going to be right there. 
<laughs> so you need to just get it over with, be a lion, get them out of the way, and then you can go fly the eagle. <laughs> you see, that was in the Bible the whole time I've been a Christian, and I never saw it. Until the day I'm walking with my husband, saw the squirrel, go get the nuts, and then the whole time. <laughs> Do you see how easy that was? We got revelation on a major thing that, that will help us for the rest of our life from that moment. But you, we don't put God here and when we're prepping for this stuff. I constantly think of how God did stuff. I'm constantly thinking. I have to make myself stop thinking to go to sleep. <laughs> and I'm always thinking. I never think in worry thoughts. Oh, what am I going to do? I, I don't know. If somebody asked me to think negatively and worry, I, I would have to think about it, of how to do it. Because I'm constantly thinking of what's possible. How something could be better. That's what I think about. I'm not better because I'm so lousy and I'm terrible. Better because they've got to get better now because I know how to do it this way, so there's got to be a better way that I could do it. This is what's available to us, ladies. Everybody got it? Yes. Your prayers for your kids might be a little different now and your job and stuff. You should listen to me. If you're working somewhere that requires you to wear a mask, then anoint the thing for Christ's sake. <laughs> Make it an element that could be used for the power of God to be transferred. Yes. Have you ever thought about these things? Yes. I do everything the enemy thinks about and plans to get you. Just whiplash him with it. This is all we have to do. Yes. You have to start thinking this way. This complicit thinking is what gets us in trouble. That's what got me in trouble in the first place. <laughs> so you can still keep the wall and break the bondage all at the same time. Didn't the Hebrew boys get thrown in the fire? But this, wasn't there a testimony in the fire for the king to see? Your mask should be oozing out like <laughs> fire. Whatever needs to be used up. People should be like falling over in the spirit and saying, Oh my, put your mask on. Use it for God's glory. Make it become an instrument. Yes. Not a weapon against you. I have planted one of them with Josiah's mask. I would tell him about it so he would say something. I would just do it and see what happens. But <laughs> I don't plan for my son to be drowned in his own breath for many hours in a day, and I don't plan to teach him at home myself either. So we have a dilemma, don't we? So I've been thinking about solutions, and I got one in my head. I'm going to put to work. <laughs> so, um, let's pray. Father, we thank you for today. We give you praise and honor and glory. We thank you for your anointing that destroys yokes and bondages and sets people free. I pray, Father, that everyone that the sound of my voice forever, perpetually, that hears this message, as they're listening to it, as they're sharing it with friends and family, that yokes of bondages will be destroyed, that the life of God will come and meet them, that the light of God will be turned on in their life, that the darkness of the enemy will have to be separated from them. 
I thank you, Lord, that demons are subject to the sound of my voice, and they must leave people. They must leave and never come back. I thank you, Father, that your anointing is working in people's lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Amen, ladies.